Our topic today goes by different names. Whether we call it financial wellness or financial literacy, the focus is on teaching young people habits and knowledge about money that leads to financial security. There is a whole body of research that links financial literacy education to positive financial health outcomes later in life. For example, a 2018 study of the financial health outcomes for a diverse set of 18 to 22-year-olds who were required to take some form of financial literacy in high school found that overall, that group had better credit scores, which is, as we know, at least one good measure of financial awareness. In any event, having basic personal financial skills is one of the most important things one can do to live a healthy, happy, and secure life. One's level of understanding around the fundamentals of budgeting, saving, debt, and investing will impact every part of one's life and can mean the difference between prosperity and poverty. Given how important these basic life skills are, it's shocking to us that only 17 states in America require students to take a high school course in personal finance for graduation. High schools teach geometry, art, language, and all the core courses, all valuable to know for sure. But how often on a day-to-day basis do you need to calculate the area of a trapezoid? Personal finances is a necessary life skill that must be taught in schools, and here are some of the reasons why. Money touches everything. The majority of Americans want personal finance taught in schools. Lack of financial knowledge has painful consequences. Financial literacy leads to a healthier life. And where else can they learn it? It can also help level uneven opportunities. Hello, I'm Chuck Kasky, Maryland Realtors CEO, and you're listening to Get Real Estate, the Maryland Realtors Podcast. Joining me for this episode is Julie Weaver, Executive Director of the Maryland Council on Economic Education or MCEE. I'll let her describe the council's mission, but just tell you a little bit about her. She has served as executive director of MCEE since July of 2019. Prior to leading the council, Julie spent many years in the financial services industry, culminating as an executive with Deutsche Bank. She has helped create a women's leadership program at Towson University and a holistic financial wellness program for students at McDaniel College. Julie is a graduate of the University of Maryland and currently resides with her husband and two daughters in Finksburg, Maryland. She has written several articles on the importance of financial education in schools and has been asked to testify in Annapolis in support of financial education expansion bills in the General Assembly, which, of course, Maryland Realtors support. I listened to Julie make a presentation at a recent Maryland Bankers Association event. And as soon as I heard her speak, I knew I wanted to have her as a guest. So Julie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Chuck. And I'm so happy to talk about financial education with your listeners of this great podcast. I love listening to it myself. So I'm excited. Oh, thank you. <laughs> great. So, and and this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, as they say. So we are planning to move forward with exploring opportunities for us to work together on this important subject. And, and it's not just home ownership. Obviously, realtors have that interest, but it's bigger than that. And so really looking forward to our engagement. But start out, but tell us a little bit about MCEE and mission and what kinds of things you're involved in, and then we'll get into some of the specifics. 
Yeah, sure. So MCE was founded actually way back in 1953. We are about to celebrate our 70th anniversary a little. Yeah, I saw that. And we were really founded essentially to improve instruction of personal finance and economics content in Maryland's K through 12 schools so that children leave school prepared to make the decisions to manage their money and their financial futures well, and to be active participants in our global economy. We really go about our mission in three different ways. The first is that we seek to improve instruction of personal finance and economic concepts by providing professional development for teachers and to provide resources to be used in the classroom to teach these essential concepts. The second thing we do is we engage students in learning. We offer several programs that are teacher-led, that are fun, and allow students to apply the knowledge that they're learning in a real way. Um, And we feel like that is learning that sticks with kids, that they can actually take into their futures. One of those programs that we're um, well known for is running something called the stock market game experience. And then the third is what we're talking about today, in a sense, is that we seek to engage the greater community in our work, in schools, and in the effort to expand access to personal finance and economics education statewide. So I talked a little bit about the why. Dig a little deeper into the why we need this. So we need it because kids are not getting it at home. You know, sadly, as some of your um, members probably know, there are a lot of people out there who are not equipped to handle their financial lives well. Yeah. We find that school, K through 12 public schools, is the place where you can reach every kid. We have the best opportunity across socioeconomic barriers to reach every child and prepare them better for their future lives by having this instruction happen during the school day. It used to be that, you know, this was sort of parent-child-led. And in this sort of day and age in the 21st century, that doesn't always happen. And so school is the best place and the most equitable place for these lessons to be taught. If you want some bigger or some deeper understanding of those programs, you mentioned the stock market game, but there are plenty of other mm-hmm. opportunities for engagement. The And we'll put a link to the website in the show notes, but what is the website? And I especially recommend people look at the annual report. So what's the website? It's www.econed.org. Yeah. And it's chock full of information. And I really had fun reading the annual report, uh, great graphics and everything, but also good information just to see the breadth of activities that you have for the kids. And you can tell that they take away a lot from it. So what else should we be looking at in terms of outcomes? We understand why it should be taught in the schools. If you think that, uh, to me, that's a no-brainer. But talk a little bit, maybe some about the weaknesses in the current curriculum and, and, and what are we looking for And that leads to the next question, which is, what's the end game here? (laughs) I think I know it, but I'd like to hear it from you. In the perfect world, what would that look like for you and and for us? Because we support that as well. And then we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. Sure. That's a lot of questions, but... It is. So, uh, yeah, you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, 
what we perceive as sort of a weakness now is that the current system in Maryland public schools is that there is a framework of financial literacy standards. And we actually have the standards on our website if if you want to read them for yourself. Yeah. And the standards are actually great. They um, ask for inclusion of finance and economics concepts beginning in grade three and every year through grade 12. The problem with the standards is that They're not always taught, and they're definitely not taught in a consistent way statewide. So if you live in Dorchester County, what your child is receiving in school can be vastly different than what a child in Frederick County is receiving. And really, your zip code should not dictate what access you have to education, So we really feel like it's important enough that we be consistent, that there should be a graduation required course, or I should say a required course for graduation to allow students to all get at least a basic level of understanding of these concepts before they leave school. The other concern that we have is that the Maryland Blueprint for Education, which is a dramatic increase in funding and improvement in schools, it's left out these concepts. So while the blueprint does many good things, it's completely overlooked the aspect of being financially ready for adulthood as part of being college and career ready. So if you can't fill out the W-4 form on your first day of work, are you really career ready? And that's another reason why we think that there needs to be a focus on getting kids this information. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I was kind of disappointed, is it even more than that, deeply disappointed that it wasn't in the blueprint given the focus on readiness, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they missed that, <laughs> really. It's it's a mystery. I, to me, that was a no-brainer. And frankly, I wasn't paying that close attention. I, I'd be very honest about it. But then when I did, and, and we started down this path, I went to the blueprint, as we talked about, and and to see that it wasn't there was, was really disappointing. And so where are we as of now? Let's just do a quick scan of this of the status within Maryland. And there's a link on the, it's in the reporter on the website to the State Department of Education's assessment of this, because there have been, and we'll talk a little bit about, or actually that's a good time. So there is legislation on the books to at least have county school systems report on what they're doing. So what does that look like currently around the state? We talked about how it's kind of hit and miss, but what, what does that actually look like for people who are listening from different parts of the state in, in their area? What, is, what does that look like? Just to make sure I understand your question, are you asking what education kids are getting in different parts? Yeah, different yes. We can't go through every jurisdiction, but roughly speaking, you know, how many have it as a requirement? If so, how many aren't doing anything? That kind of thing. Well, I don't know as I would go as far to say that there are places that aren't doing anything. Yeah, I know. That was a, that, that was a, that, I, <laughs> maybe I went over the top there, but yeah. our listeners know I do that. So it's yes. not going to come as a big surprise to them. <laughs> I, I would say there are some doing better than others. Yeah. Since right now, statewide, there are eight counties that require a course in personal finance 
and economics in some sense before a child graduates from high school. Those counties are Garrett, Allegheny, Frederick, Carroll, Prince George's, Charles, Calvert, and Caroline County. So eight of 24. Yes. Baltimore County does a good job as well. They have a course that's not required. Okay. But it is um, taken by a lot of students. So they they get the information to a lot of students in sort of an alternate path. So what Baltimore County is doing is in the right direction. In the other counties, it's also infused in courses. And if you read the county by county or school system report that we also have on our website or is available through the Maryland State Department of Education, you can see exactly what's being reported about what's happening in that school system. What you'll find in a lot of cases is that it's infused into another course, which we really don't have an issue with. We think it should be infused in every course, honestly, but it's usually a unit, say in a high school government course, which is tested subject for students, but it's saved till the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't even get to it, or it's a day or two that they spend on it. For some students, they touch on it in middle school through partnerships school systems have with junior achievement. So they get to visit the junior achievement operational program headquarters, and there is a nice field trip and some lessons around it, but it's, it's just not really enough to give students the skills that they need to lead their lives after they leave school. There's a great JA sidebar opening, a JA site opening in Salisbury. That's yes. Yeah, uh, we have some members who are, and our local association, the Coastal Association of Realtors is very involved in that. So please support that. (laughs) Yeah, I would say we, we love JA. They're sort of sisters in our work. Sure. And we're all sort of fighting the good fight to get these skills to kids. But what we're doing today in most places just isn't enough to make sure that kids are really capable once they're sent out into the adult world. I mean, you can see it in lots of research that's out there. I mean, if you listen to the conversations around student loan debt, yeah, that points yeah. back to a lack of knowledge of what kids are doing as far as making those decisions about whether or not to go to college and which college to choose and how much debt to just people really having a hard time with their credit scores and trying to manage, you know, keeping a positive credit score and how important it is to them. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because as our listeners know, (laughs) that is a direct link to the ability to purchase a home. And we have done a lot of work in the in the realtor community writ large, especially at the National Association, the average age of a first-time buyer is up to 36. And it was it was about 30 just less than 10 years ago. And the percent of first-time home buyers in the market is at an all-time low. Since for 80 years we've been tracking this. I mean it was closer to 40%. It's just above 30 now. So you have these things going in the absolute wrong direction. And almost universally, the answer to to the question, I mean, there's a lot of other demographic things going on. As we know, kids are, you know, taking longer to, um, you know, figure out what they want to do with their lives. But the number one impediment is student loan debt, right? So Mm -hmm. that's part of the reason that I'm really excited for this partnership, because there is a, that's at least one, there are others, but that one direct link 
between this financial literacy and planning and budgeting and student loan debt and the ability to to purchase a home it, you know as early in life as possible that's one of the links that we are going to be exploring very deeply so i'm glad you brought that up yeah and we all know that home ownership and being able to purchase a home is is somewhat driven by your income sure. in maryland our economy and a lot of our you know lucrative jobs are in industries where you have to have a good credit score in order to get a job so right. the defense industry and cyber industries, as well as a lot of the financial services jobs, will not hire someone with a bad credit score. And then the, you're shut out of a very dynamic income stream that could lead to buying a house at a younger age. The next couple of topics, Julie, I'll let you decide what order we should take them. But if we assume our goal is to make this a graduation requirement, and we'll talk a little bit about the legislative landscape in a minute also, then I guess teachers and what is the opposition's position? Let's start with that. If we assume there's a bill, and there is, and we'll talk about a bill to make financial literacy a requirement for graduation throughout the state of Maryland, what is the opposition to that? What are the impediments to that. And I assume one of those is the ability of teachers to teach it <laughs> with the expertise to teach it. I'm, I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah. So we have a whole new government this year. Right, right. In, in terms of speaking about the opposition, I'll just give you my view based on history. While we are not quite sure what, how Governor Moore feels about this topic at this point, historically, there's been a couple of reasons why there's been opposition. And honestly, the opposition is never that it's not important or that right. kids need this information. The primary opposition is about local control, that many in our state government feel that each county and each school system should have the right to dictate what's taught in their schools. And there are a lot of people in the state that would agree with that point of view, Sure, that local people know what's best for local citizens. Right. So that's really been the big crux. And then aside from that is also the cost right. and the fact that adding another graduation requirement is a burden on schools to have students complete another course in order to finish school. And there is, I think, among some people, a concern that it could decrease our graduation rates mm. by asking students to climb another hill, per mm. se, before they leave school. So those are really the things that I hear the most sort of in talking to people about why they aren't in favor of passing legislation to require all students to take a course. Yeah. It's interesting when we talked about local control, we are engaged in a similar conversation about land use and zoning and the lack of housing. And whenever we make a proposal for some kind of a statewide regulation or authorization, for example, on what we call accessory dwelling units, Maryland is a fantastic place to live. But those who want to stay here are not finding the housing options that allow them 
to do so. Maryland needs a uniform set of regulations that governs accessory dwelling units so that you can have one if it meets your needs. Help us help you by going to opendoorsmaryland.org. There are many potential solutions to this crisis. One of them is in our own backyard, accessory dwelling units. That some counties allow and some don't, and those who do, there's wide variation on, on how one can put a, an accessory dwelling unit on, on my own property. And one of the objections to that is local control. That land use has historically, that's not 100% true, but at least in our recent history, that it's been a local province. And, and I can tell you that our response to that is maybe a response here as well, which is that's fine. But if that local control had been working so well, why would we have this great need? And, and we have the same thing with housing. We're 120,000 housing units short. And when we try to impose some additional or open up some avenues at the state level, the locals come in and say, well, that's a local issue. And our response, very frankly, again, to repeat is, well, sure, but do better. And if you, you because you haven't done a very good job at it, that's why the state needs to step in. So I think there's a little bit of a parallel there. <laughs> I agree. I mean, on both counts, we can do better. Yeah. And how long do we want to wait? You know, how many more people do you want to be negatively impacted while we sort of decide what we're going to do? Yeah. So we're working on at least two pieces of legislation in the 23 sessions. Is that right? So talk a little bit first about House Bill 99 and Senate Bill 316. That's the one that basically controls or, or recommends or describes what the content, if in other words, if the, the county's going or city's going to have a curriculum, what should the content be? Did I get that right? Yeah, I think what the bills are really seeking to do is it's a little bit more of a watered down version than some other things that we've seen in that they want to make it mandatory that every school offer a course in personal finance, every high school. Okay. And then create sort of a framework around what should be taught in that course. We already actually have a framework in place statewide. So that's a little bit of a repetitive thing. It could probably use some updating, but it's really sort of making it available to every student as an elective course. And I will say that this bill, if anyone's followed this, you know, historically, this was a bill that was offered by Jay Walker, probably in the last 10 sessions. And it has now been picked up on the House side by Delegate Sample Hughes, for those of you who live on the Eastern Shore. And then on the Senate side, Senator Ben Brooks is introducing it in the Senate. There were hearings on both the House Bill 99 and the Senate Bill 316 in early March. And so we'll wait to see the outcome of those discussions in committee. Meanwhile, Senator Klaus Meyer submitted a bill as well in the Senate, Senate Bill 238, which is a bill that actually requires the course to be taken by students in order to graduate. So we have one sort of set of legislation that's asking for a course to be offered And then we have another bill that's asking for the course to be required. And we will find out in a couple of weeks, sort of mid to late March, 
whether any of these bills will leave committee and actually have some potential to be heard on the floor. So we're we're very optimistic. We've heard great feedback this year that we might make some progress in either bill. So it's very exciting in Annapolis, and it's a great time to make your voice heard if you are interested in, in talking to your elected officials. Yeah, just as a side note, Senate Bill 238 has 16 co-sponsors, or 15 co-sponsors, so Senator Klausmeyer and 15 others. I'm not 100% sure how many of them are on the committee, but it could possibly be that a majority of the committee is a co-sponsor which means that there's a good chance that it could get to the floor. And I also note that, and we'll have links to a lot of this stuff on the show notes, but the fiscal note, and for those of you who are not aware, every piece of legislation in Maryland General Assembly has a fiscal impact analysis done on it so that whether it's on the state effect or local effect and whether it is an expenditure, requires an expenditures or generates a revenue. And I was a little surprised to find that the local expenditures in total, school systems across the state, which number 14 is according to the fiscal note, which is 2.7 million for 14 systems, That includes textbooks, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, probably don't need. So that's probably an overstatement. I think it's too dynamic. I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a textbook on this kind of stuff because there's so many readily available materials and and more relevant. And so to me, that I thought it was going to be more. Now I know it's not in the blueprint exactly, but there sure is an enormous investment going on in, in around the state in, in education. And so to me, that, that was not a really scary number. I, I assumed it was going to be higher for some reason. And so I, I don't know, does that give you a little bit of additional hope or am I reading too deeply into this? No, I don't think you're reading too deeply into it. Although in, in my experience, the folks behind the scene who create the fiscal notes don't typically ask a lot of questions in advance about what's really needed. So I think the fiscal note aspect can change. But you're 100% right that a textbook isn't necessary to teach this content in high school. There's a variety of resources that are available for free from realtors associations, from banks, from credit unions, and from nonprofit organizations that do a really great job of providing this content to students in an engaging way. And honestly, it's updated more frequently than a textbook would be. So as things change, you can be a lot more flexible and sort of current in a non-textbook oriented sort of course. And and we are moving in that direction with courses in in Maryland schools. So while there is still a heavy emphasis on textbooks, there is some flexibility in there too, which is nice. So we'll see how it turns out. But I think the the biggest expense that they should be thinking about is something you mentioned earlier, Chuck, which is training the teachers. Yeah. And that's really what the Maryland Council on Economic Education has done for 70 years. And that is recognized that our teachers can't teach what they don't know. Right. And in every teacher preparation program, you know, statewide. Teachers are typically taught specific content in sort of the major content areas. So like a math teacher has to actually take courses in teaching math in order to be qualified as a math teacher. But personal finance is not one of those 
poor area. So in many cases, we've seen research that says all, almost no teachers have been exposed to personal finance or economics in their course of study to become a teacher. So expecting them to teach this information well is, is a big hill to climb. So we would propose as part of the bill, and in Senator Klausmar's bill, I think she actually includes it, that a teacher training program to prepare the teachers and build their confidence in being able to deliver the content is really going to be essential to the success of the course and making sure that the kids get the depth of knowledge that they need, that they really need. Part of me wonders when I look at the the first bill on the, you know, at least just making it mandatory that it be offered, right? That's House Bill 99. That when you look at the list of things that are required to be in the content within the course, lessons on creating and following a budget, saving money, debt, investments, amortization, simple and compound interest, and any other subject the state board considers appropriate. So, you know, amortization, sure. <laughs> but, you know, investments, it, it, this is a lot. If, 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 if I were a, you know, middle or high school teacher or, or even elementary at that point, right? Debt, what does that even mean? Debt, mm-hmm. investments, you know, some of this stuff I'm wondering. And amortization, I mean, who cares? I mean, I, 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 would, I would take amortization out, but that's just me. Our, our members are obviously hyper familiar with amortization, but you know how often do we actually use that? I mean, in our daily lives, we're paying down our mortgage, right? And we know that it's mostly interest at the beginning and then principal as as the note matures and all that kind of stuff. But I I wonder whether that was the most thought out list, and hopefully, and and also it says other things. So and debt, man, where do you even start with that? True. And and, and I part of me, I have to tell you, Julie, I. I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I can imagine that many, many of our teachers who are woefully underpaid, and we thank you, thank you, your angels, and probably many of them are struggling with debt. And I'm trying to imagine a a young teacher still with his or her student loans (laughs) teaching about debt and saying, what, don't do what I did? I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) know. I'm just not sure, but I I think it's it's hypercritical and and it's... It's got a lot of layers to it, doesn't it? Yeah. And I would say Senator Brooks, who I'm a huge fan of and is definitely someone who is highly interested in getting this content to students, is a CPA. So that might- Oh, I did not know that. Amortization is in there. (laughs) That's the language that he speaks as a CPA. So I would guess that might be how that got included. So- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad it didn't say actuarial science because that would freak us all out. But yeah, so I get it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, of course. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I, you know, we we hear from teachers all over the state and, and we have historically that they don't know what to do. So a training program for teachers, should this requirement be passed or we have a significant expansion in the courses even being offered is really important. And we've seen in other states where they have included teacher training 
as part of the movement to to allow or require a class in in every school is is been really helpful. North Carolina being the one I would look to as one of the most recent in that not only do they need a course, but the teachers need a course too. So it, it just sets everyone up for success. Well, that's our time, Julie. Thank you so much. I learned a lot and I hope our members did. And we're going to put some links in the show notes so that people can follow along and dive a little deeper into the offerings of MCE and also to look at ways that realtors can help because obviously all of those things, and and it's what we teach and we'll also in future talk about the first-time buyer programs that Maryland offers and, and there's financial education involved in those. And both my daughters are homeowners at a young age and had to go through that training to, to qualify for the Maryland mortgage program loans. And so we are doing a lot, but we have a long way to go. So thank you for so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to working with you in the future. I am too. I think, you know, like a lot of things, this is going to take a village and yeah. we're really excited to be working with the Realtors Association and individual realtors, among many others, to, yeah, yeah, uh, to help our kids. Yeah, for sure. So thanks again. And thank to our you. listeners, thank you for the privilege of your time. This is Get Real Estate, the Maryland Realtors Podcast. I'm Chuck Kasky, Maryland Realtors CEO. Thanks, as always, to our esteemed producer, Joshua Woodson. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Like us. Share us, give us five stars if we've earned them. And most importantly, give us feedback, including guests you'd like us to invite or topics to explore. Be kind, stay safe. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe captured the essence of this kind of wisdom when he said, many people take no care of their money till they come nearly to the end of it. And others do just the same with their time.